All right. Morning. Morning. Big day. Uh, My name is David Cern. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, Good morning to you. Hey, before we get into our Bible teaching for the morning, uh, I just really quickly want to call Grant Anderson back on stage. Look, there you are. Okay. It's like you knew it was coming. Um, Grant, who uh, many of you know, uh, has been our youth pastor for the last year and a half. And uh, we want to give you an update. And actually, before that, was a worship pastor at one of our church plants uh, for five years. Uh, we want to give you an update on uh, Grant. I always tell Grant that uh, he's good at everything, and the Lord has seen fit to just gift him at just about everything. But one of the things that we know about Grant is that his heart just bleeds for worship. And so we have actually, as a church, created a new position for Grant, and he is going to be our associate worship pastor. And so he's going to play now a significant role in assisting a worship leading both on and off the stage, and then he'll be actually leading worship uh, about once a month here on Sunday mornings as well. Uh, If you're wondering about our youth ministry, if you haven't heard yet, we have uh, then hired a new youth pastor uh, named Matt Lubrat. Matt is awesome with students. He's also a gifted Bible teacher uh, who's just finishing uh, his ministry degree at Dallas Seminary as well. And you get to meet him uh, this summer. And so we're excited for Grant. Uh, We feel honored as a church to have uh, such talent uh, leading worship for us with Zach and Grant both now on stage, and uh, we just want to update you on that, and I just want to pray for Grant quick. Lord, we just thank you for Grant. Uh, We thank you just for uh, his heart for you, and I pray that you use him uh, as he leads us uh, towards, uh, towards you. We just love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Okay, we are starting our uh, brand new summer series uh, this morning, which is kind of fun. Uh, Last summer, we did a really memorable and fun series on the life of Elijah in the Old Testament. And we're going to be hanging out again in the Old Testament uh, this summer, studying uh, right through the book of Joshua, which is going to be great. Uh, Just because we're kind of starting this week uh, with the very first week, I want to give you just for a few minutes here some context. Like, okay, where are we exactly in the Bible? Where are we in history even? So uh, if you go back even before the book of Joshua and you go to the very first book of the Bible, so this is a number of centuries before the book of Joshua, you'd be in the book of Genesis. And uh, in the book of Genesis, you see that God promises the land of Canaan to a man named Abraham, and not just Abraham, but to his descendants. Abraham has a son named Isaac, who has a son named Jacob, so that's Abraham's grandson. And Jacob was also called Israel. Well, eventually, Jacob, or Israel, moves his whole family, the Israelites, to Egypt because of a famine. Well, they end up staying there for a few centuries, and a few Egyptian regime changes later, the Israelites find themselves as slaves in Egypt. Well, they cry out to God. God hears their cry, and he sends them this incredible leader, Moses. And not only that, God brings 10 plagues on Pharaoh and on the Egyptians, and eventually he's able to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. They go into what is essentially the Sinai Peninsula, and they are there. They're supposed to just go right to the Promised Land. They kind of mess up, and they're in the Sinai Peninsula in the wilderness desert for 40 years And while they're in the desert, God gives them the law. It's the set of instructions on how they are to interact with him and how they are to interact with each other. Kind of the basis cornerstone of the law is the Ten Commandments. Well, they get to the end of the 40 years, and they're just about to cross into the Promised Land, but Moses, their leader, dies. And so his assistant, his apprentice, is a man named Joshua, And now Joshua is going to lead the Israelites into the promised land. So that's kind of what's been happening up till now, till we get to the book of Joshua. 
and we're going to read it. So everybody grab a Bible, whether you brought your own, you use your phone, you use a Bible here. We just want you looking at something. Uh, it's not on the screen because we just want you to hold it, study it, breathe it in. Uh, we're page 146 if you're using the Bible here. Uh, we're going to be on Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 as we're starting it today. You know, at, at church here, we believe and we teach that the Bible is true, that it's a historical account of biblical events. Um, but one of the things we know about the Old Testament is the Old Testament also has, not only is it true, but it also has these beautiful metaphors that come true in an just awesome way in the New Testament. And so in the New Testament, you see that Christians are now God's people, and they are freed from slavery, right? And they're walking into a new land. And yet sometimes people make this a wrong application of the metaphor, and we talk about the promised land of the Old Testament kind of like it's heaven, and it's not actually that, and I just want to be clear on that on the outset. The promised land in the book of Joshua is a picture, it's a metaphor of what life can truly be like when you walk with God and you let him lead you. Because they're still gonna have opposition and all sorts of trials in the promised land as well, and yet they experience incredible blessing trusting trusting their lives with God. Okay, so here we go. Book of Joshua, chapter one, uh, verse one, uh, page 146. Here's what the word of God says. It says, after the death of Moses, the servants of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun. By the way, do you know who in the Bible didn't have any parents? It was uh, Joshua, son of Nun. I just, okay, okay. <laughs> I, th- I thought it was funny. Uh, <laughs> Moses, aid. Moses, my service is dead. I shouldn't be laughing while I'm talking about the death of Moses. This is, okay. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Okay, let's pause there for a second. The main theme that we're gonna see today in this chapter, in chapter one, is that Joshua is told not once, not twice, but four times to be strong and courageous. Here's the thing you gotta know about Joshua. Joshua is not a weakling. And this is kind of interesting because if you study the Bible up to this point, you'd actually see a couple of things about Joshua. Uh, One of them was that Joshua even had experience commanding the Israelite army in battle. Or another time, Moses as the leader, he sent 12 spies on a dangerous reconnaissance mission into the promised land to kind of check it out. This was at the beginning of the 40 years in the, in the wilderness, just to see like, hey, can we get in there? Well, 10 of them come back and they're like, there's no way we can get in there. The people are like giants there, it's never gonna happen. Only Caleb and Joshua come back and say, it's no problem. They're not too big for our God. Joshua is brave, he is strong, he is bold, and yet to this man, four times he's told, be strong and courageous. In part because even the bravest of God's people need this reminder. And in part because there's different aspects of why he should be strong, why he should be courageous, and thus we should be as well. And so what I wanna do this morning is I wanna look at four reasons why 
we can be strong and courageous. And we'll look at one reason each for the four times that Joshua is told this uh, in our chapter. So here's the first one. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write it on the bulletin. Even if you throw it away on the way out, it'll help you remember it. You can take notes in our app. Actually, what's really cool, if you take notes in that message on the app, you can go back to that particular message even six months later, and your notes for the message will be in there. It's actually kind of nifty. Okay, so here's the first one. Why can we be strong and courageous? Number one comes from verse six. It's because God has called us. And so you think about Joshua. Joshua didn't stumble accidentally into leadership. It's not like Moses died and Joshua was like, hey, what if I was the leader? It doesn't happen that way. Joshua trained under Moses, He studied under Moses as a leader for a long time. In fact, if you were to study and read the book of Deuteronomy, which is right before the book of Joshua, you'd see that one of the last things that happens is the Lord has Moses appoint Joshua as the future leader. And so Joshua has very clearly been called by God to lead in this particular moment. And that kind of begs us to ask the question, what is God calling you to right now? What would you say? For some of you, maybe he's calling you to start something or to say something. Uh, Maybe he's leading you to a new place or to a new job. Maybe some of you would even start a family. By the way, calling doesn't always have to be this big, super spiritual moment like, and then the voice of the Lord spoke to me in a dream. It doesn't have to be that. I think sometimes that we forget that God already has called us simply to obey his already written word. So maybe God has just been prompting you lately to start fighting against an old sin that's been nagging you. Maybe God has been prompting you lately, calling you to forgive someone you haven't spoken to in 10 years. Maybe God has been prompting you, calling you to just trust him again, even in the midst of a health crisis that you're in right now. I mean, there are a hundred different reasons why each of us could be living in fear right now, but God, I assure you, is calling out to you saying, trust me again, be strong, be courageous. I have called you to this. Trust me, walk with me. And I think this teaching of calling, it it really matters for the moments that we feel faint. It matters for those moments when we feel like, this is just way too big for me to do. By the way, do you know that God likes it when you feel like that? When you're going, I can't, I, there's no way I can't do this. He's going, okay, good. Now we can talk, right? And so we need to remember that God has called us. And even if we're going, I've got so much fear with this situation, there's no way, it's okay. Because God has called us and with him, we can do all things, right? Okay, we can survive all things. We can be in all things. There's so many things that God can do. Okay, let's keep reading now. So verse seven in our passage. Verse seven says this, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Okay, let's pause for a second, because we get a second reason in here. So we get a second strong and courageous, and in fact, Joshua is told to be strong and very courageous at this point. Well, why? Here's the second reason, and it's the second reason why you, even in the midst of whatever fear you're dealing with right now, can be strong and courageous. It's this from verse seven. Because 
God's word is gonna keep you on the right path. So this summer, as we read and we study the book of Joshua, you're gonna see that the Israelites are going to be tempted to stray from the path of obeying God. Because God's given them instructions. He's told them which way to walk. They've got the law now. Okay, it's not the Wild West anymore. They know where they're supposed to go, but temptations are gonna come from the left and the right all the time. And it's really no different today, right? As Christians, we know which way we're supposed to go, but we're constantly tempted to get off the path. Uh, it makes me think of that incredible, incredible book uh, by John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, which I've urged you many times uh, to read the children's version of Pilgrim's Progress uh, called Little Pilgrim's Big Journey. Uh, if you've got little kids or you've got grandkids, uh, read that book to them, but you mostly read it for yourself and your heart because it's that good. It is an allegory of Christian who is either, depending on whether you read the kid's version or not, a little kid or an adult, who's walking the path on this long, long, arduous journey to the celestial city, which is heaven. It's all an allegory. And what you see in the whole book is basically the whole book. Christian is constantly tempted to get off the path. People are coming up to him and say, I got a shortcut for you. Somebody else comes up and says, I think the grass is a little greener over here. You gotta come over here. Some people come up to him and say, why are you working so hard to walk on this path? It's really, it's not fun, it's difficult, it's hard. What if you just came to our city and just reveled and enjoyed pleasures instead? Why don't you just do that? And over and over again, Christian, he keeps going. Why? Because he's on a mission. God has tasked him to be on a mission. Don't stray from the left or the right. Be strong, be courageous. God is calling each and every person in this room to something. And it may be just as simple as just walking out what he's already told you, but he's given you a code to do that. Trust in him and walk on his path. It's on his path that we find strength and courage. It's not off of it, it's on it. So know that. And it, there's another way that you can find courage on the path as we're kind of on this point, and it's, it's verse eight. So look at verse eight again if you still have it on your lap. It's just great wisdom here. There's really three things that he's telling you to do. You are to keep God's word on your lips. You see that? And, that just, and we have even more of the word than they do. Keep it on your lips. That means, you, first of all, you've got to read it every day. Every day. If you've been kind of off the Bible lately, get back in the Bible. Keep it on your lips, talk about it. That means you get in a class this summer, you talk about it, you get in a house group talking about God's word. Number two, it tells you that you are to meditate on it. That just means like you think about it often, you let it sort of marinate in your mind, you're praying through it. If, okay, let's say you're a nurse. As you're going from room to room, maybe you're memorizing a scripture for the month. You're just, every time you walk from room to room, you just think about your scripture. You're working on the factory floor and you're working on something. You're just, you're letting the scripture sort of bounce around in your mind. And then thirdly, you obey it. You don't just think about it, you walk it out. Sometimes in America, we think that discipleship is just content consumption. That is a false definition of discipleship. Discipleship is you learn, but then ultimately you have to obey, right? You've got to walk it out. And what God is teaching in verse eight is that if you're doing these things, it's going to give you the strength and the courage to actually walk on God's path, which gives you more strength and more courage. 
And then life begins to, in a sense, go better. This is kind of fascinating because twice in this little passage here, we see that Joshua is told, this is what life can be like when you walk with me, and this is how you have a successful life as a believer. Now, be really careful. Don't put that into your modern American context because some of you are going like, oh, this is how I can be rich. That's not what it's saying, okay? This is how I can be a CEO. No, no, no. It's saying this is how you have the abundant life. This is how, when you obey these principles, this is how you deeply can know and walk with God so that no matter what might come your way, that you can, with strength and courage, survive it and thrive in it because you know the promises of God and you have the presence of God. Okay, let's keep reading. We're actually gonna skip over uh, verse nine. Uh, calm down, we're coming back to it. Uh, it is kind of the cornerstone verse of this passage, so I'm gonna come back to it after we do this next section. Okay, so verse 10 says this. It says, so Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land your Lord, your, the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Okay, let's just pause for a second there. There's kind of a lot in that passage. If you haven't really studied this area of the Bible before, some of that may feel like, I am not really sure what happened in those last six verses. A little context. So, if you were to go back in the Bible a little bit to the book of Numbers, which is about more than just numbers, what you would see in Numbers chapter 32, while the 12 tribes were still in the desert, in the wilderness area, two and a half of the tribes, of the 12 tribes, so the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, they approach Moses, the leader, and they say, you know what? We actually kind of really like the plot of land just before the promised land, like on the east side of the Jordan. Would it be okay if we just live there rather than going in the promised land? And Moses says, yeah, that, that's okay, but when we get into the promised land, there are people there that we're gonna conquer. We've gotta conquer them first. And by the way, some of you are like, some of this is violent. And we're gonna spend a week this summer talking about that very issue. But he says, we're gonna have to conquer the promised land first, and so if you're gonna stay in the land just before the promised land, you've gotta go in and battle with your fellow Israelites first, conquer the land, and then you can go back to the land that you wanna be. Okay, well now it's actual present day for them and they're at the Jordan River about to cross into the promised land and Joshua's a bit afraid like, okay, but now they see their, their land, it looks really nice, are they actually gonna go in and fight with us because they've got their land? And let's see now how they respond to Joshua, their new leader. So this is verse 16, it says this. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you command them, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Okay, so the tribe leaders of these two and a half tribes, they tell Joshua, hey, we're gonna obey you just like we obeyed Moses. And they look at Joshua and they say, hey, 
Only be strong and courageous. Now here's a third reason why Joshua should be strong and courageous and why we should be strong and can be courageous. And it's this, from verse 18. You can be strong, you can be courageous because God's people are with you. You know, I think, as we look at this sort of rise of anxiety in our culture, I think one of the main reasons that even so many American Christians are experiencing more fear and more anxiety is because we are more isolated than ever. Part of that is cultural, part of that is we just went through a pandemic, but what happens is when you get isolated, the devil can intimidate you easier than before. It's like a gazelle that strays from the herd, right? is easier to intimidate and take down. And that happens to us spiritually when we isolate. But when we come together, we can have encouragement, we can have strength. This is like one of our core values. We say often, we know that our faith thrives in community, but it struggles in isolation. Listen, uh, Joshua, if you think about it, you know he's nervous, like are these guys actually gonna come with me? But think about the strength and encouragement he would have had. These, these, these leaders walk up to him, and they're like, hey, I know we're in our land now, but Joshua, we're with you, brother. We're with you. There's just strength in that. There's courage in that. And I would say to you, if you need that, you can't do this alone. What you're facing right now, some of you, hear this. You cannot do this alone. You can't. God has created you for other people. As a pastor, I'm worried about the American church right now. And what we are doing right now in America, where we just have said, like, let's just watch church online. Let's just treat church like a podcast. I know a lot of people aren't saying this right now, but I'm just gonna say it. It's not church. In the New Testament, the church is described what? Not as content consumption, church is a body. It's a body of people coming together. That's why we talk so often about house groups. If, if you're not in a house group yet, get in a house group and we do signups again in a couple months as we get to the middle or the end of the summer. I'll even go a step further for you. I don't think it's even enough to come on a Sunday morning and just hear the teaching of God's word. Because God has specifically designed you to be strengthened and to be encouraged by other people who can lift you up. We need that. You cannot do Christianity alone. It is not a solo sport. For those of you that are already in a group and you know other Christians, but you just feel like that old faux fear is just creeping up again in your life, reach out to somebody. Text somebody right now or this afternoon and say, let's just, let's go fishing together this week. Or let's, let's, let's go out for coffee and, and just tell them what's going on. Because what happens as you do that, they will look back to you and they'll say, be strong, be courageous, and why? It really comes out of sort of this cornerstone verse, which is verse nine, so let's go to verse nine now. Here's what it says, verse nine. This is the Lord speaking to Joshua. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Hear this to your heart. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Okay, this is the fourth reason that you can start to shed anxiety 
and fear and bring in strength and courage. And the fourth reason is this from verse nine. It is because God is with you. Joshua can be strong and courageous. Think about what Joshua is facing if you're going, oh, my life feels kind of crazy. He's supposed to go in to this promised land full of enemies and be strong and courageous. How, why? Because God is with him. Now this sounds kind of simple, but I think as uh, people who live in America in modern day, I don't think we understand this very well at all. Let me give you an example of how uh, not well we understand this. For example, when you, uh, when we as Americans, when we talk to our kids, or even your grandkids today, uh, we always say things to them like, hey honey, I just want you to know, you can do it. You are so brave. You are so strong. You are the smartest. You can do anything. Parents, please do not talk to your children like that. And if you're, if you're kind of raising your eyebrows at me, in part because that's so normative in our culture, let me explain to you. It's that sort of talk that's actually setting some of your kids up for future bouts of anxiety and even depression as teenagers. Not that that's the only reason for it, far from it, but what's happening right now in society, and there's a number of studies starting to come out and say this, we are watching a generation of teens in Gen Z who have been told basically from infancy that they can do anything and that they are so smart and so brave and so good. And I would just ask you, then what are they supposed to believe about themselves when they aren't? Like, do you remember being a teenager? Like, I kind of remember being more foolish and dumb than smart and brave. <laughs> and so what happens is our real life teenagers, they get into these seasons, or even as young adults, and they fail, right? And they mess up royally. Okay, welcome to adolescence, okay? But what they're doing, because they've been told over and over, you are the best, you are so strong, you are so good, you are the, they begin to chide and scold themselves. And they say, what is wrong with me? How am I doing this? I'm supposed to be good and smart and brave and I'm not, what is wrong with me? Parents, let me tell you, we as Christian parents, are, we need to stop teaching them to believe in themselves and start teaching them to believe in him. Okay, and you teach them that from a young age. That is biblical parenting. Not cultural parenting, biblical parenting. And by the way, this is just as true for you as an adult too, for all of us. Because we too, we are too surprised by our own inadequacies and sin. And then it creates such nervousness and anxiety in us when we see our own failures. Well, guess what? The Bible teaches us you have a sinful nature. And you are most, without Christ running your life, you are most naturally prone to sin. And you will not find confidence in yourself. J.D. Greer brilliantly says it this way. I'll put this on the screen. He says, confidence doesn't come from looking at what's inside you. It comes from seeing the one standing beside you. Okay, that's where biblical confidence, I'm reading that again. Confidence doesn't come from looking at what's inside you. It comes from seeing the one standing beside you. Okay, so think about our passage. Think about Joshua. Joshua is about to cross the Jordan River. By the way, how is he supposed to get all of these people even across the river? He doesn't know. God says, be strong and courageous. And then he's supposed to go and attack Jericho, which is heavily fortified. How is he supposed to do that? Most of these people haven't even really battled that much. God says, be strong and courageous. Well, how? 
Where does he find that strength and courage? Let me tell you something. Joshua's not gonna do it like this because he's not an American. This is what we would do, but he's not gonna do it like this. He's not gonna walk up to the Jordan River and kind of look at his reflection and say, you the man, Joshua. You the man. Who's strong? You strong. Who's strong? You. That's what we do. That's not what he does. Look at the word of God. What does it say? Look at it. Verse nine. Actually look at it. This is not a flash in the pan culture giving its idea to strength and courage. This is the timeless word of God. What does it say? Be strong and courageous. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Well, okay now. If the king of kings is coming with us, then all right. I'm going to be strong. I am going to be courageous. Okay, this is how you begin to fight anxiety and bring back strength and courage in your life. Some of you, your knee, let's just be honest, your knees have just been shaking lately. You are drowning in anxiety and in fear because of what's in front of you. And the reason for so many of you that fear has such a grip on your life right now is because you're looking out at what you need to do and you're looking back at yourself and you're going, there's no way, there just ain't no way. It's not gonna, it's not gonna happen. I'll never be strong enough. To which I would say to you, amen, you're totally right. You can't and you're not, but he is and he's coming with. And so you be strong and you be courageous. Okay, this is not a good example, but it's a good example. Uh, when I was in middle school, there were some kids who wanted to beat me up. I know what you're thinking, why, right? But as a kid who had no muscles and a really big mouth, they told me that they were gonna beat me up, and I said, well, just, we can commence with the beating in a moment, but just hold on, give me a few minutes. And I walked across the schoolyard, and I went and found one of my best friends who had just won the state boxing championship. And I said to him, we've got a problem. Uh, I'm going to need your help. And he looked back to me and said, okay. His voice had already changed. <laughs> he said, uh, okay, I'm coming with. And let me tell you, I walked back across that schoolyard strong and courageous. Not because of some strength I found in me, but because of who was coming with. The Bible is teaching you the exact same thing right now. You look, it's telling you, you look at your problems, the Jordan River, the Jericho that is coming up in your life, and you find strength and you find courage. Why? Because God is coming with. Amen? Amen. That is the teaching of God's word. And I just want to tell you, if, you, if, if you've been coming here and you're starting to check this out, and, and you've been looking at your life going, I feel like my, most of my life is fear, and you don't really know Jesus Christ, you can know him. So when we say God is coming with, it means you can actually have a relationship with him. God is real. He loves you so much. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth. Jesus looked at your sin, knew it needed justice, died on the cross for you. And he tells you that if you would believe in that, that he could wash away all of your sin, forgive it, and you can actually know him. He can walk with you and you can have a relationship with him. That is the truth we believe. And if you want to know more about that, our follow-up team will be in the, the front right after the service. Even if you're a bit nervous to do it, be strong, be courageous, trust in that, and just start asking them questions and they can help you in that journey of what it means to know Jesus Christ. All right, as a church, it is now our time to be strong and courageous uh, this morning. 
Uh, we have an opportunity to do so. Uh, over the last three Sundays, we have told you uh, about this amazing opportunity that has come our way. Uh, and that is this, if you're just hearing this for the first time, the corner lot um, that is immediately north of us, it used to have a Shell gas station on it, has become available. We never thought it was gonna be available. It became available. We miraculously found out about it and were able to put an offer on it before it even went on the market. This is so huge for our church. So when we expand in the sometime in the future, which may be coming sooner than any of us think, what we know is that when we expand, we might be up to 100 parking spots short someday based on how this is growing right now. But that corner lot essentially solves that problem for us in the future, which is absolutely amazing. It is still mind-boggling to me that this is even happening. God is just so clearly on the move. But you, know, you look at our passage today, just like Joshua and the Israelites, you know, they've made it just on the doorstep of the promised land, and now it's their time to be strong and courageous, right? To act in faith. And I would say... Kind of similarly, the Lord has basically placed this land kind of in our lap, right? And now it's our time to respond with strength and courage and faith. And so our board has responded. They've entered into a purchase agreement with the seller. Uh, the land itself costs $1.3 million. Welcome to a corner lot in the suburbs, okay? Uh, our bank on short notice has offered us a loan of $1 million. So that means you close the gap, it's $300,000 is what we need to put down. Our leaders, miraculously, amazingly, have already given $192,000, and so what's left is $108,000. And so we are doing a special offering this morning to try and raise $108,000 in one day. That's a big deal. And so we're praying, we're asking God to move, we're asking for everyone to be a part of it, so we can do this together. Whether you give $5 or $50, some of you can give $500 or $5,000, that we would be a part of this together. And so practically what's gonna happen is we're gonna do a final song here. Uh, our ushers are gonna come forward at the beginning of that song. We're gonna pass the buckets old school here for a special offering. And you can place cash in there, you can place check in there. If you're like, oh, I totally forgot my checkbook. Because um, who carries their checkbook around? Sorry if you do, um, that's great, it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> A couple things you could do. You could go home. We still have services kind of going all morning. Come back, stick it in the bucket. Just you got to make sure you put it in that corner lot special envelope. Um, or you can give online as well. Uh, if you give online, and many of you are planning to kind of do that this morning, that's fine. Uh, if you give online through our website or app, you just need to, uh, when you uh, select which fund, you got to select corner lot fund. Or you can give online or drop a check by up to the end of the workday tomorrow. But if you're giving online, we'd love for you to do it now. Basically, we kind of want to know where we're at, uh, even by this afternoon, so we know, okay, what are the next steps? If we're not there, we're trusting that we're there, but you get the practicality of it as well. Uh, last logistical thing, if you haven't written a check in 15 years, uh, and you're wondering, okay, what do I do here? You can make it out to uh, Renovation Church. Okay, uh, let me pray. We just, we need to seek the Lord on this. Lord, we, we thank you. Uh, God, as you have us on the precipice of this land, uh, we thank you just even for the opportunity that it's there. Uh, that is just amazing to us. And Lord, help us as a church body, all of us just respond now in faith. And may you just blow us away next Sunday when we talk about what happened. May we just, may it just be another moment in our church's life where we just can glorify your hand on this space. We just love you so much. We trust you. In your name we pray, amen.